Welcome to Shouts of Grace with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Pearson of Redemption Hill Church in Eagle Mountain, Utah. At Shouts of Grace, it's our purpose to encourage you to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. Today, Pastor Steve addresses urgent messages found throughout the Bible, particularly in Mark chapter 13, when God tells His people to get ready and prepare for what is to come. Here's Pastor Steve. The younger a person is, the urgency in this life to be ready for the next isn't the same as a person who's closer to their expiration date. You think more about it. You think more about what it's going to mean to stand before God. You think more as a man, what is it going to mean to stand before God and give an account for how I loved my wife? right, as Christ loved the church. As you get older as a woman, you think, man, you know, I can give all the excuses in this life, but what will it mean when I stand before God and give an account for how I treated my husband, right? As you get older, those things of eternity start to sprout up. When you're young, they're under the ground, and you really don't think much of them. But the Bible talks about, you guys, a wisdom, The Bible talks about a wisdom in being prepared or being ready for the things that the Bible marks as urgent. The Bible talks often about being prepared and being ready for the things that God says, this is urgent. Pay attention to this. You see this throughout the Bible. In Genesis chapter 6, God tells Noah he's going to judge the world, right? In order to prepare or be ready, he says, build an ark. Right? God tells him, here's what the future is, here's what's coming, so here's what I want you to do to prepare for it, to build this ark. When a famine is going to destroy Egypt, God speaks to Joseph and he says, listen, there's something really bad that's coming, so here's what I want you to do to get ready and to prepare for it. Don't ignore this because I'm telling you what the future is going to be. When God tells Moses that he's going to judge the nation of Egypt by sending an angel of death to take the firstborn of all of Egypt, he tells him, I want you to get ready and prepare by doing what? By taking blood and putting it on the doorposts of your home so that when the angel of death sees the blood on your post, he'll pass over. In other words, <laughs> this is coming, be prepared. And the Bible is full of examples where God tells of a reality before it happens to warn people so they're not swept away by the calamity that ends up coming. You could say that this warning is God's grace. It's God's mercy. It would be cold-blooded to know that something is coming ahead and keep it to yourself and just let everybody perish. And so God oftentimes in the Bible tells people, you get ready. You be prepared for this. In Mark chapter 13, Jesus spends the whole of the chapter to push this idea of being prepared. There's something that's coming. So be ready for it is what he says. Now, we're not going to do a deep dive into every verse because I feel like as we've gone through Mark, we've covered quite a bit of it. However, I do want to survey the whole to get us to Jesus' core point. And so Mark chapter 13, we're going to read it, okay? We're going to cover all of it kind of from a 10,000-foot view and then find out the point that Jesus is pushing. Michaela, can I get some water? I don't don't have... have my, I still got that weird voice slash cough that's, that's, um, that's going around. Okay, Mark chapter 13, 
starting in verse one. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be one stone here left upon another. They will be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, see to it that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end isn't yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of birth pains. But be on your guard for there will for they will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speaks, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father, his child, and the children will rise against their parents, and they will have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Verse 14, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak and Allah for Allah's for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days, there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be again. And if the Lord had not cut short those days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he's chosen, he shortened those days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is. Do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all these things beforehand. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds and with power and glory glory. And then he will send out his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that the summer is near. So also, when you see all these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gate. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Finally, verse 32. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Keep awake. 
for you do not know when that time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows are in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, stay awake. When we observe all the contributors to what Mark is talking about here, you will most humbly arrive at this. The disciples of Jesus asked him two questions when he was sitting on the Mount of Olives looking at the city of Jerusalem and this beautiful temple and these beautiful buildings. And when Jesus told them, these will be toppled, not one stone will be left upon another, the two questions were, when will this happen? When is this gonna happen? And number two, what will be the sign of your coming? And as Matthew says, the end of the age. Now. Whether the disciples meant for these two questions to be one is up for debate. Meaning there are people that believe, and it's, it's not unchristian, that these are one and the same, meaning when these buildings go, it's the same question as when your coming will come. And so their conclusion is based on the idea that Jesus was being asked one question. But my observation in the whole of Scripture is that Jesus answers these questions separately. He answers them as two, meaning this. First, when will not one of these stones be left on another? When will that happen? And Jesus answers him in Luke 21, 20. When you see Jerusalem surrounded, you know that its desolation is near. When you see that, Luke 21, 21, get out of the city and get into the country, right? For there's going to be a great distress, he says, on the earth against these people. Who? The Jews. In Luke 21, 24, he says, and they're going to fall by the sword. Who? The Jews are. And they're going to be carried captive, he says, into all the nations. And Jerusalem's going to be trampled underfoot until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Well, when did that happen? April of 70 AD, Jesus' words were fulfilled. Okay? Jerusalem was, was destroyed and not one stone was left upon another. The first question was answered. It came to pass. But the second question when will the sign of your coming be and the end of the age, I believe, has not happened yet. Okay, it has not happened yet. Even though there are many people that are sound believers that believe it has happened in a spiritual sense, that at the first coming, Jesus brought the kingdom with him, and now he is resurrected, and he is at the right hand of God, and he's sitting on the throne. And so that has been fulfilled sometime at the, in the conclusion of the first century, probably around 70 AD. So everything now is, is, is you know, allegorical when you read the, when you read the, 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 the things of the end times the problem with this is when you look at what's said in mark 13 matthew 24 luke 21 revelation 6 through 19 daniel 7 through 12 and zechariah 12 through 14 there are things that precede the coming of christ there are specific things so there's no way you can allegorize these have there always been wars and rumors of wars yes there have right have there always been pestilence or disease Yes, there has. Has there always been um, famines and, and earthquakes? 
Yes, there has. There's always been them. Even though Jesus did say of this time, they're like birth pains and they'll increase in intensity and, and frequency, there have always been those things. But there are things that are specific about which didn't happen in the first coming and Jesus mentions them. Let me give you an example. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will go into the whole world and be preached and then the end will come. This didn't happen. When Jesus came the first time, this didn't happen in 70 AD. This didn't happen by the close of the first century. You could say the gospel was preached in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the Gentile world. But listen, you guys, given the vast expansion of the gospel across the globe today, is it fair to say that the gospel had not been preached to the whole world? So the end, whatever this end he's talking about, it didn't come yet, right? The end that's being talked about is still future. Additionally, Matthew and Mark both record an event called the abomination of desolation that is spoken of by Daniel the prophet. What in the world is this, right? Say that 10 times really fast. Abomination, da, 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 da. say it four times really fast, right? There have been two destructions, folks, of the Jewish temple in history. The first was Solomon's temple. Right, David wanted to build Solomon, wanted to build God a temple, and God said, no, you're a man of bloodshed, your son can do it. So David got everything ready for him. Solomon built an incredible temple. But the people of Israel disobeyed God. They disobeyed God for 450 years, and so what did God do? He brought Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar in 586, and he destroyed the temple. He judged his people, right? And he sent them into captivity for 70 years. When they got out, Nehemiah and Ezra come forward with Zerubbabel and they rebuild the foundations of a temple, far less glorious, but they rebuild that and they continue to have that temple all the way up until Jesus' day. This temple would be remodeled and referred to as Herod's temple and this was the one that was destroyed in 70 AD and there's no temple right now, there's none. So Israel spread throughout the world, the place lays desolate. But here's the thing, in Ezekiel 40, through 43, those chapters, God gives Ezekiel a vision of a third temple. It's a third temple. In Ezekiel 42, 20, as the, as the vision is given of this temple, something different about this temple that is never found in the first two. In Ezekiel 42, 20, we're told that they're to build a wall around it. The others did not have a wall around it for the specific purpose, it says, of separating that temple from the profane place. What is he talking about? If you look on the Temple Mount today, there is this big giant golden dome, right? And it is the third most holy place to Muslims. So to conceive of the idea that the Jewish people would build a temple on that mount would make the war that they're fighting now look, sh it would shame it. It would inflame over a billion Muslims around the world if you tried to move that or take that down or destroy it. And so many people for centuries, or for at least for the last 80 years, have been sitting back wondering, well, this isn't really literal. I mean, how do you do that? That's gonna be impossible. Well, here's what's interesting. Go home and pull up a, an aerial at the Temple Mount. And here's what you will find, that just north of that dome happens to be a very convenient open lot 
with a bunch of trees that sits right in front of the east gate. And if you take the measurements of it, it absolutely can house the measurements of a third temple. And many people believe that you don't have to do anything with that. All you would need is some kind of an agreement because you couldn't just go up there and build it now because it would start a war. But you would need some sort of peace agreement, some sort of thing that would merge the two and say the Jews are going to be allowed to do that. Ezekiel, when describing this temple, says you need to put a wall around it to separate it from the profane place. If that space could house a temple, that would make all the sense in the world. Because just south of it, 100 feet, 150 feet, would be the profane place. It's the only temple that's said to build a wall. And I find that very interesting, you guys. And also, as Ezekiel is describing this future temple to be built, I want you to pay attention to this. Ezekiel 43.1, once this temple's built, he says, then he led me to the gate facing the east, and behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the east. So he takes Ezekiel to the east side of this temple, and he says, and I saw the glory of God coming from the east. Here's what's interesting. When Zechariah talks about the second coming of Jesus Christ, in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 4, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 4, he says, all the nations of Israel are gathered, or all the nations of the world are gathered to make war against Israel. And as that happens, he says that I saw then the Lord, Yahweh, the God of gods, I saw the Lord descend and he put his feet on the Mount of Olives. You know what's beautiful about that? In Acts chapter 1, when the disciples were watching Jesus ascend up into heaven, the angels, once he disappeared, said, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who left will come back in like manner. And then it says, and they departed from the Mount of Olives. They were standing in the place that the angels said he would return. And in Zechariah 14.4, he says, I saw the Lord and his feet stood upon the Mount of Olives. This is the second coming, but I want you to listen to what it says. In Zechariah 14.4, on that day, the Lord will set his feet on the Mount of Olives that lies on the east, and he will go into the city from the east, and he will be king over all the earth. Folks, what is still ahead is the second coming of Christ, which is described in Revelation 19, where he comes out of heaven with a sharp-edged sword, a two-edged sword, and he smites the nations as they sit there in war, and he stands upon the Mount of Olives, and the Kidron Valley splits in the middle, and that king walks through the east gate that is covered right now by the Muslims with a graveyard, because no Jew will walk through a graveyard. It'll make them unclean, but I got news for you. When Jesus reaches it, it ain't a graveyard anymore. It's a piece of real estate because the dead have been raised. And he will walk through the east gate. Ezekiel says elsewhere, it's the east vestibule that's been closed off for the prince. And he will walk through that gate and he will be king over all the earth, you guys. Now, here's why this is important. It is this third temple that a false Christ will come into and stop the sacrifices and declare himself to be God. This is the abomination of desolation that is spoken by Daniel the prophet in Daniel chapter 9, verses 
21 through 27, particularly verse 27. There's a man coming. There's an antichrist coming. There's always been an attempt by the enemy to mimic who God is. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You have the dragon or Satan, the the antichrist, and the false prophet. He's always trying. Jesus said, I come in my Father's name, and me you won't receive. There's someone coming in his own name, and him you're going to receive. And so this man comes on the scene most likely a political leader with great you know, power. And whatever happens, however it takes place, there's a one-week or a one-seven-year period agreement that he makes with the people of Israel. Many people believe it's the agreement that lets them build their temple because there isn't any way it's going to happen unless there's some sort of peace agreement that gives them the right. Maybe they fight a war and they win a war and here's, here's the booty, here's the prize money. You get a place on the temple. I don't know. I know this. He's a false Christ. He will come. He will make a pseudo peace for seven years, Jacob's trouble, Daniel's 70th week. And in the middle of that week, three and a half years, he will go into the temple, he will stop the sacrifices, and he will proclaim himself to be God. That is what the abomination of desolation is. That hasn't happened So this is still yet in the future. And Jesus is saying, these are things that are going to precede the coming that he's talking about here. You guys, both Matthew and Luke talk about a distress of nations that comes upon the earth. And they say it's unlike anything you've ever seen or ever will see again. That couldn't have been said in the first century. Certainly the, certainly the flood and the destruction of the world was far more distressful than booting, you know, 800,000 people out of Jerusalem, right? Certainly one could argue that the destruction of Egypt with plagues was far more distressful than kicking 800,000 people out of Jerusalem. He's talking about a time when what comes on the earth, you will have never seen anything like it. In fact, he makes the statement, so bad is it that if those days weren't shortened, nobody would live. That's how bad it is. Jesus said of this time that men's hearts would fail them for fear of what's coming on the earth. During, you guys, this future time, we're told that when this man rules to conquer, in Revelation 6, 2, it will be with force. It will be with force over the entire world. People will be forced to do it. You have been prepped over the last four years. Do you know that? You're, you and me are guinea pigs in an experiment that is going to consummate with something far greater. We've given up sovereignty, national sovereignty, personal sovereignty. It's been taken from us. You know, from little rules and laws that are passed to major ones that are. This person will come on the scene and with force, and you're looking at a precursor of it now, he will demand rulership. In Revelation 6, 5, that during this time, there will be a worldwide famine. Everyone will feel it. Do you know what's on the horizon? Do you know what's happening right now? Folks, there's 8 billion people in the world, and the food supply is running out in this country. Just look past MSNBC News and Fox News. You can't store enough in your emergency food supply. Things are starting to take shape and form. Revelation 6, 8 says that a quarter of the world's population will die. One quarter during this time. We're talking about calamity of levels we've never seen before. Revelation 8, 7 says one third of the the earth will burn up from, from fire that's falling from the sky. 
Now here's what I know. And then Revelation, interesting, Revelation 8.8 8 says that a, a burning mountain will come and hit the ocean and one third of everything in the ocean will die. We're talking about catastrophic events, folks. Their heart is so hard, they will look at that and they will say, well, that was just a meteor shower. That's not the hand of God. They will look at every single thing that God does naturally in a supernatural way. It's not judgment. It's just a license to keep on unbelieving. That Mark references that in those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will be falling from heaven, the powers of heaven will be shaken, and then you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. Therefore, Matthew 24, 42, stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. Mark 13, 32, concerning that day, nobody knows. Therefore, be on guard, keep awake. Verse 37, what I say to you, I say to everybody, stay awake. Luke 21, 34, watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that day come on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come on everyone who dwells on the face of the earth. Therefore, stay awake at all times. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of Shouts of Grace with Pastor Steve Pearson. We hope you've been encouraged to see the Bible as God's source of truth for everyday life and grace as the foundation for a genuine relationship with God. If you've been encouraged in your journey following and learning more about Jesus, we would love to hear from you. You can visit us online at shoutsofgraceradio.com. There you can listen to all of our episodes, share them online with your friends, and find out more about Pastor Steve. Shouts of Grace is an outreach of Redemption Hill Church in Eagle Mountain, Utah, and we invite you to attend our Sunday morning gatherings. For location, sermon times, and contact information, check us out at rhutah.church. Thank you again for joining us on today's show. And from all of us here at Shouts of Grace, it is our prayer that you would grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Shouts of Grace is a production of Key Radio. Shouts of Grace.